Welcome to your weekly dose of comedy with your host, Dana Pereira. Where's our participation trophy? What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Where's Our Participation Trophy. I'm Dana Pereira, and joining me today is actress, author, and podcast host, Brienne Davis. Hi! Hey! <laughs> so, you are in L.A., right? Correct, yes. Mm-hmm. Have you, Are you from L.A.? Have you always lived there? No, I'm not from L.A. I've been in L.A. for like 20 years, though, so I feel like I'm lived here forever, but no, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. So I grew up in the South. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I feel the exact same way. I (laughs) grew up in Pittsburgh, but I've been here for 20 years now. And I remember whenever I was young, I would always like to think like, oh, one day I'm going to be able to say I've been driving for 20 years, or I've had this relationship for 20 years. And now that I'm 39 and I'm looking at 20 years living in one place, I'm like, oh, fuck, I did not think that through. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like it's like this like amazing thing. And you're like, oh my God, 20 years has gone by. Like, where did the time go? Like, that's how I feel. (laughs) Like a blink of the eye. And it just, now I know you said you have um, a son, is it? Yes. Yes. I have a three and a half year old son. And do you feel like having a son has made time just speed the fuck up. Oh my God. Yes. So much. I was sitting with him and my husband and I were sitting with him and we looked at him and we're like, Oh, you're a teenager already. <laughs> like he, he looks like a teenager and he acted like a teenager. He like did this eye roll thing. I think he got that from me. And I was like, oh, I just saw you at 16 and it feels like it's speeding up. I feel like he was just a baby, like laying on our chest. Yeah. I know. I know. It's- I think that's why people have four kids like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because you get past the baby and you see them growing up and you're like, oh, I miss when he was teeny. Yeah. Yeah, It's well, so I have a 16 year old and a 15 year old and I, I mean, they're cool ass kids. I don't have Mm -hmm. a lot of problems with them at all, but every now and again, I'm like, oh shit. They think I'm the lamest person on the planet. Yes. They, they, my son already thinks I'm lame. Like I try to talk to him. He's like, ah, no, like he literally won't answer me, but I'm okay. Not being cool. Like I actually enjoy not being cool. I like, I like embarrassing him when we're like at target or something. He's like, mom, I I love it. I actually am. I can't wait for my husband and I to like drive him insane. Oh yeah. I've definitely pulled some good ones. My son, my oldest, his name is Mason. Mm -hmm. And whenever I pulled up to drop him off at school one day. I rolled down all the windows and started singing. Mason's mom has got it going. <laughs> and he was like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. I love it. That's the best part. Torturing your kids, right? It is. Like, I, well, they torture us for oh my so God. long. I think so it's only long. fair. I know it's an, it's like, it's like the hardest job in the world. You would think working in Hollywood for 20 years is tough and like all that stuff, but being a mom to a kid is like the toughest job ever. It is because also, I mean, we're already hard on ourselves as people in Mm -hmm. general, and now we are like left in charge of these tiny people. Like we didn't have to take a test or anything. I know. They were just like, 
Every day, this is your child. And I'm like, oh, I'm responsible for their like well-being, whether it's physical well-being, eating, mental, mental, spiritual, all of it. You're responsible for all of it. Like nobody tells you all that. I feel like there needs to be classes. I feel like there needs to be classes how to how to feel feelings and regulate those feelings and help your kids feel feelings, you know, how to all that stuff, how to balance a checkbook. All those things need to be in school and taught. I agree because especially, I don't know about you, but for me, it was a lot of, um, because I said, so, uh, there was never like an explanation behind anything, or if you were feeling something, they'd be like, suck it up, you know, kind of a thing. And I try and change that with my kids. I'm like, feel it, sit with it, feel it. It's going to suck for a little bit. You're going to wrap your head around it and then you're going to get up and you're going to move on from it. And I'm not perfect at it for sure. I'm not even perfect at it for myself. In fact, I had a minor meltdown like 10, 15 minutes ago because of, I don't know if you ever feel imposter syndrome, but I get that bitch like once a month, probably right around the time I'm getting my period. (laughs) Oh yeah, of course you get it where you're like, I'm not good enough. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not smart enough. I don't, I'm not pretty enough. Blah, blah, blah. I'm never enough. Like I get it. Like I've had those dark night of the soul moments when you're like, I'm doing everything wrong and I'm Uh never going to get it right. I don't totally have that imposter syndrome, but it's like, we do get to show up for our kids and say, Hey, this feeling isn't, isn't going to last forever. It's not going to kill you because with my background, especially in addiction, like I wanted to numb out, I numbed out with love and romance and my job as an actor and success and money and shopping and all that stuff, food, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. We numb out. Now people use Netflix and all that stuff, but it's like, I really want to teach my kids and my, my husband does too, of like, feel your feelings. It's okay. Don't turn to anyone to fix your feelings. So we really regulate at our house. Like if he's like, I need a hug, I need a hug. And we're like, it's okay. We'll give you a hug. Like, what are you feeling? Okay. What's going on? He's like, I don't know. But just giving him the words, like, are you sad? Did something happen? Did you hurt yourself? And also not letting him fix our feelings. Cause for Mm -hmm. me, as a child, I remember I was always like trying to make my parents better. Yeah. Like, mom, do you need a hug? Like they're fighting. And so we really try, like he is never responsible for our feelings. I never ask him, mommy's having a bad day. Give me a hug. Like make, you know, so we're really, really, really careful about that. That's really awesome. I think our, or at least I hope our generation has kind of been awakened a little bit to all of that. I see it more and more across the board with people that I talk to and say, and I don't see it everywhere, but I do have a little bit more hope that we're um, opening up to that. Mental health has really taken off. People are talking about it so much more now than they ever have before. And, um, I think just because we've all been there, we've all been that child that had to go through those things and, Mm -hmm. you know, and now we're trying to make sure that our own children have a way to express those without having to go through the same things that we had to go through. I mean, I hope so. Honestly, from my end, I'm just going to be very transparent. I don't actually see it getting better. I, Mm -hmm. so I have more younger and younger generations coming into my program of sex and love addiction where, they 
are having trouble connecting to other human beings. They're so desensitized by social media and Uh, all that being out there that it's really, it's very difficult right now for a younger generation to actually connect on a one-to-one basis. So I've been struggling with, you know, helping younger people right now find their identity, find their sexuality, find that connection with another human being and not like, to get online and desensitize themselves, especially with porn addiction is really, really bad for this younger generation. They're seeing sexuality way too young, you know, especially young boys. So I don't know. I don't know. We might be in for an epidemic, honestly. That's a lot to handle. (laughs) You're like, whoa, Brianne, you really went there. No, no. I, I see that though, because I, as a mom of teenagers, Mm -hmm. I struggle with, you know, walking that fine line of, you know, what they can consume, what they Mm -hmm. can't consume, what they're going to consume because they're in high school with their friends and, you know, trying to be on top of it, but also giving them their space and, you know, like there's so much that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, where do you step? How do you do it? Each kids different. Like you do one thing for one child and something else for another. And it's just like, it's such a minefield and that there's never been a generation that is so addicted to their devices. Yes. So we don't know how, what is actually going to happen. Cause it's never had a generation before us. I mean, I didn't, they didn't even have pagers and stuff. Like when I, I yeah. can't imagine being in the most difficult time of your life. You know, you're 13, you're 14, 15, trying to figure it out. And I was already damaged. Like I was already yeah. acting out like crazy, but it's like, I can't imagine on top of that to have the world looking at the world and comparing my life to others, comparing myself to others, my body image, everything. So I don't know. I really hope that society is getting smarter. I just don't know. We are talking more mental health and people, but then at the same time, we were desensitizing on a daily basis. And even us, even grown ass, you know, people, I, I picked up my phone and I set it down and I was like, okay, do you not like put your fucking phone down and just let it go. Yeah. And I reached for my phone 30 seconds later, like picked it up and was like, why the fuck did I just put your phone down? No, I did it the other day too. And I'm really good at it. I have a certain amount of time. I work on my phone stuff, Mm -hmm. like social media promoting. And then I sometimes even hand it to my husband just to get it away from me. But the other day I was in the bathroom and I was done doing something and I like picked up my phone and automatically was going on. And I almost, I go, whoa, like (laughs) threw it down. Like I was like, what am I doing? I don't need to be on this. We as humans don't want to be bored. We don't want to sit with our feelings. We want to be stimulated 24-7 and it's really toxic. And that's what I write about in chapter seven of my book. It's like that toxicity of the social media, the compare and despair, like never just being with yourself. Yeah. It's really creating a society that we are disconnecting. I mean, I even do it and I have 12 years of sobriety. Like I have 12 years of sobriety, been working on this, help other people. And I still do it sometimes. Yeah. It's so while we're talking about your book, tell everybody what your book is called. Dun, dun, dun. The title. <laughs> it's like the longest title in the history, but I love it. It's called. So I'm making Life. you say it. <laughs> Don't worry. Everybody says it wrong and I love it, but it's called secret life of a Hollywood sex and love addict. 
Um, it's about my life in Hollywood for 20 years, being a working actress. I'm not an A-list celebrity. I make a living as an actress, but I don't live in a huge mansion. I don't, you know, have my billboard. So it's about this young actress turning 30 and she looks at her life and sees that it's out of control. She's an attention seeker. She wants validation from men 24 seven. She's always looking outside of herself to find herself worth. And, you know, it comes to head that she's told by her therapist, she's a sex and love addict. And that was my journey. I picked a career as an actress that amplified my addiction, but it started way back when I was really, really young. So it's like, uh, people say it's like a long share. I've been in recovery, 12 step program, sex and love addiction for 12 years. And it's like a long share. So it's Roxanne's journey through the first year of her recovery and sex and love addiction while working in Hollywood. And it's, I wrote it like it's a TV show or a movie. Cause that's where my world is. And I, yeah. I wanted people to learn about this deadly disease that nobody talks about, especially as a woman, there's so much shame and stigma and I, but I wanted them to be entertained. So it's not like some like yeah. sad, sad, <laughs> Terziac addiction. Well, every addiction book is so sad and it's just like, I don't even like to read them and that's the world I live in. And I just wanted to do one that was fun and entertaining, but educates at the same time. So there's a lot of funny stories, a lot of like crazy behind the scene Hollywood stories. I changed everyone's name. So nobody knows who anybody is. I changed the timeline around. So it's like, you're like, it rhymes with Vlad Ritt. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little more difficult than that, but yeah, it's my favorite. It's like, where's Waldo? I like to, people try to guess who's who. And I'm like, I can't tell you. Cause I can't get sued. Yeah. I can't tell anybody. I can get sued immediately. <laughs> At what point did you like have that light bulb moment where you were like, I'm going to write a fucking book. I didn't. Okay. <laughs> my husband did. He, what was happening? My friend Jana Kramer and I were pitching a show around town in Hollywood. And oh my God, I love her. Yes, she's she's a good friend, and we've been friends for a long time. We were in prom night together in 2008. So I'll tell my husband because he recently learned that she got divorced and he was like, ears perked, what? And I was like, honey, I'm sorry, you don't have a chance in hell. She's <laughs> especially if he's married. I don't yeah. think that. I don't think she he's on her list of yeah, probably candidates. Not, yes. No, but I've been helping her with her love addiction. You know, I, you know, was of service with her, was almost sponsored her for a long time. And so we were pitching the show around town. And while we were pitching it, we had a studio and we were doing all that. And the story kept changing. And so my husband looked at me and he's like, I feel like there's you're not getting to tell your story you want to tell. So he's like, Hey, there's this writing class. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like I'm shooting Lucifer. I'm not a writer. I have dyslexia, like leave me alone. But he kept mentioning it. And by the sixth time I was like, he looked at me, he said, no, I'm serious. Like, I really have this feeling like you could take the writing class. It's 90 days. You don't have to tell anybody. If you hate the second class, you can just stop. It's not that right. much money. Like he gave me every excuse and I'm like, okay, fine. I'll take the class. <laughs> And I wrote the first draft in 45 days. Wow. It was like my God or higher power, the universe, whatever you want to call your bigger person or bigger spiritual thing. It came like, it was just like wrote it. it I, I sometimes read it when I was doing the audiobook. I was like, I wrote that. Yeah. And I even got offers for have ghost writers and stuff. And I was like, no, I, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to really do it. Like, 
I'm not going to put all my shit out there and then say I didn't write it, you know? So it was, it was a process through the editing and everything, but yeah, the first draft was 45 days. I don't say it's a good draft, but it it was written. (laughs) All 12 chapters were written in 45 days. So that's incredible. And that came out in February of this year, right? Yes, 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 yes. And, and bestseller. Yeah, we hit it. We, I would say we, cause my husband was been on this journey with me, even though yeah. he didn't write it, but yeah, it hit bestseller four times. So it was really exciting. That's yeah. so exciting. I would imagine that that would be like the equivalent of seeing yourself on TV for the first time or something when you're just like, ah, I guess, but here's the thing. And I think this is, um, the humility or I just still don't feel like I wrote it. Like, yeah. I feel like it's bigger than me. It's not, it's my story, but it's other people's stories too. Like I put in other people's stories, other things I've heard over the years. And I really tried to make it a rounded um, sex and love addiction story. So anybody could read it and go, I felt that way. I've done that. I put myself in those situations. I've used my sexuality to manipulate and control and get what I wanted. I mean, you can- you can use your sexuality with your husband to get what you want. Oh, like yeah. anytime you use that is a way of like disconnecting from yourself and mm-hmm. using it as uh, currency is what I say. Yeah. So, you know, you, those people that go back to bad relationships over and over again, wanting that unavailable person to, to, to show up for them, you know, going yeah. dating back to back. I'm sure, you know, all people like this. Oh, so yeah, I really, sure. tr- I was one of them at one point, you know, like <laughs> everybody was, I yeah. always feel like everybody was a sex and love addict. They were addicted to romance, finding that one to complete them, that soulmate, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, I just wanted to make a rounded character that anybody could identify with. And so it still doesn't feel like it's mine, but I think yeah. that's a beautiful thing because I don't have anything on it. It's like, if it helps somebody, then I've done my job. So, you know, I, I feel that way about this show. I come on here and I spill my guts about, you know, the dumb shit that I've done in my past and, you know, and not being perfect. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've had a lot of people reach out and saying like, oh, I felt that way too, or I had that experience or a similar thing. And it feels good to know that you're not alone. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole reason to do it is, you know, two people connecting and saying, Hey, me too. Yeah. You're not alone. I've done those things. And the best moment was my mom, the day it came out, she immediately got it and she read it in like a day Mm -hmm. and she called me on FaceTime and she was crying. And I was like, Oh shit. (laughs) There's some things about her in there that are not right. Flattering. Like Some of the stuff is made up. Some is not. I'll never tell. Some is fiction. Some is not. But, you know, there's not the best moments. And she said, for the first time in a decade, I understand your addiction. Like, I completely understand it. And that meant so much to me because it's such an addiction no one talks about or knows about or even puts puts a name to it. And then the second thing she said is, like, I am so proud of you. And some of the things you wrote about, I have done, too. Yeah. It was just such a healing moment where I didn't expect to happen through this book. And I'm really, really grateful for it. Well, it's awesome because you have your book and then you're also sharing people's stories through your own podcast. Yes. Yes. Which I never wanted to do either. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> hey, I'm being transparent. Like I yeah. wasn't interested in having a podcast. It just wasn't my cup of tea. I was, I'm fine just being a working actor that nobody knows my name. And they're like, Hey, I've seen you. Hey, do I know you? Yeah. But what happened was I wrote an article for HuffPost before the book came out. It was like leading up to the book. And uh-huh. I wrote about being in Hollywood, being a sex recovering sex and love addict in my journey. And the day it came out, I kid you not. I was like, what am I doing? I'm ruining my career. No one's going to hire me. They're going to think I'm some sex fiend, crazy woman. You know what I mean? Like all those thoughts, like, and then it came out and two hours passed and nothing happened. It was like, (laughs) it was like, lady, get over yourself. Like you are not like that important, special or unique. Like you're a worker among workers, get over yourself. No one cares. But this is what did happen in that couple of days, like hundreds and hundreds of people all over the world reached out to me. And then by the end of the month, it was like 2 million downloads of the the article. And I just realized that I was still carrying that last bit of shame, right? That last bit of like everybody in my world knew I was in this recovery program because I worked so hard on it for so many years and helped a lot of people and speak all over. I speak all over the world, but in my community. Yeah. And it's one where people don't talk about it's almost actually said in our program, do not talk about sex and love addiction. It's not like AA where anybody can talk about it, NA for drugs, any of that. So speaking out about it is a really, really big deal. But I realized that last bit of shame and stigma just evaporated. And I wasn't aware I was still holding it because I was so had so much recovery. Mm-hmm. But what happened is the pandemic just like shut the world down, as we all know. Yeah. And I woke up a month later and I was like, oh my God, Secret Life Podcast. I give other people that last thing they need to let go of a secret shame stigma from past or present. So I got a microphone and I asked a couple of friends if I could practice with them to see if I even wanted to do it. Yeah. It was amazing. I had, we we recorded 67 episodes have been uploaded and we have 74 still in the bag already done. So we have enough for a year and a half. Yeah. I just banged them out. And it's like every kind of secret, every kind of individual sexuality, anything really, really dark ones where um, my first anonymous woman called about, she shot herself in the chest with a shotgun because she couldn't reach perfectionism. Yeah. And she walks through that recovery of what it felt like for the shotgun to like go through her and the wow. bullet. Yeah. And now I have never met her before. And now we're like friends. And then, you know, I've had really other dark ones, but then really light ones. So I'm just really proud of Secret Life Podcast. It's one of the best things I've ever done. And I, we're just going to keep putting them out until we don't have any more. That is awesome. I, whenever I reached out to you, I had told you, I, I host a, another show called the dirty little secrets club yeah. with people anonymously, but ours is a little kinkier than <laughs> we get a lot of stuff like that. But today for that trophy wife life, I did ask my listeners to send me in some lighthearted kind of fun confessions that they have for us. Are you okay, ready? Cool. Yes. I love it. This one says, Growing up in New Zealand, I used to walk from home to school every day. One day, I found a bag that had a local bank logo on it. I picked it up and put it in my school bag. 
After school, I showed my dad and he gave me the biggest hug ever and took me to McDonald's, got me new shoes and a bike with a helmet. And we kept half the money before taking it back to the bank for a $10,000 reward. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. I haven't heard that. That's a good one. I mean... I couldn't do that just because that is against everything. You know, I can't have any secrets or lies or I'm like, but, you know, I guess, you know, I don't know what to say to that. It's like a movie, right? Like a totally. little kid's like, do, 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 fucking walk to school. And the parents like, yay. <laughs> and you find this bag full of money. No, I, because I have movie brain, I yeah. would be like, oh my God somebody's going to be trying. They're going to track yeah. me down. The They're drug dealers are coming <laughs> like old country for old men, not whatever that movie was. They're going to find me and I'm going to die. That's what I would think. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I would be terrified for the rest of my life that that was yes. what was going to happen. Yes. I'm right there with you. I always feel like that's going to happen. So I don't know. I would like have to move really far away to another country or something. You're like eight and a half years old. Like shit. Gotta go. (laughs) Say peace. (laughs) I love that the dad was like, yes, we're getting new shoes. We're (laughs) We're going to just take this here and we're going to put it under. What if it was like marked bills or something like that? I mean, I don't know. I came from a very shysters background. So I, I don't know if that will be good later down the line. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That would, that would weigh on me. I feel. Yeah. I definitely, I I would just be terrified that somebody was coming to kill me. (laughs) That would be that. I mean that too. Yeah. Dad. (laughs) Thanks dad. Thanks for putting me in the harm's way. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'd plant my wife's favorite candy where she'd discover it. I always denied responsibility for the random Reese's. I found my own favorite in my jacket pocket once and showed her and she was totally spooked. On my summer semester in Prague, I made a key for my friend to plant Reese's and she never found out. He just plants candy everywhere. (laughs) It's kind of a cute thing, but also like a mind fuck. Right? Because- yeah. I'd be like, why, why are these Reese's everywhere? What is going on? I would probably guess my husband was doing it though. I'd be like, stop. I don't want to eat chocolate right now. That's yeah. <laughs> I remember hearing a story on another podcast a mm-hmm. while ago about this, um, husband that every time they would leave for vacation, he would have his friends like move the furniture a foot to the left or something like that. And so every time they would come back from vacation, the wife would freak out like what is going because all of their furniture had been moved. And he did this for like 20 years before the wife. (laughs) That would drive my OCD crazy. Because the only thing I can control in this world is like how my house looks. And I would be like, wait, everything's out of place. Like it would drive me nuts. Would you, would you be like, oh my God, there's a ghost. Or would you be trying to figure out like the logical explanation for why it was happening? Well, we always have people stay at our house to like dog sit or take care of our house. So I would just think my house guest did it. Like I'd be like, motherfucker, put away, like put the blanket backwards supposed to the throw blanket like I would yeah. think he'd just like moved in and I'd be like we're not having this person watch our house he moves like, all the furniture never. 
watching yes. Fido again. <laughs> Actually, that's my mother-in-law. She does that. She's going to be listening to this. I love you, Cheryl. Yeah. <laughs> I had, um, I used to be a single mom and mm-hmm. I was a single mom that was barely scraping by, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like using the, uh, EBT cards and stuff like that. Like I just could not make ends meet and I worked full time. So it wasn't mm-hmm. for lack of trying, but, um, I got a card in the mail one time and it had a hundred dollars in it mm-hmm. and it was just signed from somebody who's been there before. Oh, and I was like, this is my mom. <laughs> I was like, this has to be my mom. And it was signed with like a smiley face. And then maybe another month later, I get another card in the mail, mm-hmm. hundred bucks in it signed with the smiley face. Like you got this or something like that. Oh, that is so sweet. Yeah. And each time it was in different handwriting. It was never because I kept the cards and it was always in a different person's handwriting. Okay. And so I called my mom and I was like, is this you, you know, like just, just, and she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, it's not me, but wow. Incredible. That's awesome. And so for, uh, probably, I think I got like two or three more cards after that and never knew who it was. And I went back to Pittsburgh, I don't know, four years ago or so. And I was Mm -hmm. sitting there with my mom and we had both crushed a bottle of wine. And I was like, so was this you? And she was like, yeah, that was me. (laughs) Man, a part of me wishes she never told you. That's just so sweet. I think that would be such a beautiful thing to do for someone. Like that's like, a nice act of kindness. So I think you should give your audience that like they need to go do that for someone, even if it's like 10 bucks, right? Yeah. Like everybody can use 10 bucks. Absolutely. We actually just did a kindness episode a couple of episodes ago where people sent in their um, random acts of kindness stories. Oh, I love it. It was really cool. And there's um, Giles Paley Phillips. He's an author and a show host over across the pond. Mm-hmm. And he was great. That was really fun. But yeah, that my mom was like, yeah, that was me. And I was like the handwriting. Why was it different handwriting? And every good. She was like, oh, that was fun. I would just go to different friends and be like, yo, can you write this for me? real?" Quick? <laughs> oh my God. She like crafted it. I love it. I thought she just like wrote it with her other hand or something. No, nope, so nope. she had different people write the cards and then she would send them from different post offices so that it wouldn't be tracked back to like her specific post office. <laughs> Oh, she like really went out there and then she told you, I I wouldn't have told you. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's like a great mystery of life, right? Like not knowing, but that's so sweet. What a lovely, lovely mother you have. Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) that was really nice. Um, This one made me laugh. It says, I once got pulled over for a traffic violation and my boyfriend at the time got arrested for disorderly conduct when he wouldn't stop whispering at the top of his lungs, just offer to blow him. You give great head. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I bet the officer was like, please just stop. Don't make me arrest you. Like, please yeah. stop talking. <laughs> yes. How are you drunk? And please, please stop. <laughs> stop. Just stop. I don't want a blow job. Leave me alone. I want to write you this ticket and get on my way. Okay. Yeah. Stop talking to me. That's what I would say if I was an officer. Stop, please. 
Oh my God. That's funny. I had a girlfriend whenever I was like 19 in the passenger seat, whenever I got pulled over and she's like, hold on. And she starts like taking off her shirt. And I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) Put your fucking shirt back on. Just let me get the ticket. (laughs) Wow. What kind of friends do you have? My friends don't do that for me. They'll be like, oh, it's your fault. Don't drive so fast. Don't drive bad. Uh, I'm pretty sure she had probably also been drinking. It was like college wow. years. So it was probably an the smartest of- years. The smartest <laughs> years. <laughs> uh, have you ever gotten out of a ticket? I have. I've gotten out. I've I've gotten out of a ticket where I didn't know I, I was missing my tag, like the little sticker. But I was in high school, so I think he just felt bad for me. But I haven't gotten that many tickets. I mean, I've done some other very unsavory things. You can read it all in the book. (laughs) But like I, with a police officer, I almost got a ticket I wrote about giving food to a homeless man in Venice. I almost got a ticket for that. But yeah, no, I haven't gotten They give tickets for that? Yeah, you can't give out food to homeless people. You can get tickets. And I almost got one. And I got in a fight with this homeless, this police officer on a Segway. I was like, you look stupid in your Segway. Like, I was so mad. I was like, he's hungry. Let me give him this salad. He's like, no, I'm sorry. You can't. And I was so angry. I was like yelling at the police officer. Yeah. What? It was one of my acts of service. I like fed the homeless while I was doing my recovery. And yeah, I was, I was really upset. What is their reasoning behind you can't give them food? Well, it's like a combination of things. It's like a healthy health issue. And also restaurants aren't allowed to give their leftover food because then it just amplifies the homeless problem. And I'm like, no, that's not true. Like you have to feed people if they're hungry. There's enough food in this world. Everybody can eat. It's when we try to like hoard it and make all these rules. So I don't believe in it at all. Santa Monica has it now too. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a bummer. That is a real bummer. And I'm in San Diego. And so I have it just like you. There is homeless everywhere. Well, you know, they ship them in. They literally, yeah, other states like Arizona, which I didn't know about it until I researched it. They actually give the homeless in their states tickets to come to California because we have better programs for homeless. But then the problem is we don't have enough programs for the homeless. Yeah. So yeah, it's out of control right now. I mean, I think they're getting the housing together, but I, yeah. So it's really sad. What a bummer. Yeah. But yeah, that was the only one I almost got (laughs) fighting with a a police officer on a Segway. I was like, you look stupid in your Segway. Like I was totally like yelling at him. And it's so funny that you're like, go to insult. You're like, you look dumb. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like in recovery, supposed to not like attack somebody. What is so angry? I was just so angry. And I just felt like out of control. Like I couldn't help this person. And I was trying to be of service and do a good thing. And then there was this like, authority telling me I couldn't. So I just yeah. like resor- resorted back to uh, childish behavior, like totally not sober at all. We <laughs> have all been there. I oh God, this is, is going to be embarrassing, but I remember because I used to be super out of control, couldn't contain my emotions, would oh, just yeah. flowed, you know, and I, you know, have luckily have progressed past that. Calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Regulated your emotions better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Went to therapy, did all the things. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I remember getting into a fight with my boyfriend at the time, who was my Mm -hmm. older children's father. And he got into his car and tried to drive away. 
and my ass hopped on the hood. <laughs> like a spread eagle on the hood. <laughs> like a, You're like not going anywhere. <laughs> And then he started driving and I was like, oh shit, I better get off this car. <laughs> he like rolled off, like did the roll. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Tuck and roll, grandma, tuck and roll. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious because you said I used to do things like a sex and love addict. That's like total sex and love addict behavior. Oh, I like was... trying to make the unavailable stay. <laughs> very, very bad. Yeah, I definitely have gone through some shit. I think it also has to do with like, you know, growing up and, mm. and, you know, learning because nobody teaches you when you're young, how to control your emotions. Like you're or doing have healthy with your... relationships. That's yeah. not, I mean, if you come from a healthy marriage, but who comes from healthy marriages these days? Like it wasn't mirrored to me to have a constructive argument about something or how to like get through a disagreement healthily, you know, like those yes. things thought. And also it's like belted into us. Like this is what romance looks like. Looks like the movies. Nobody talks about paying the bills or picking up poop. Like nobody talks about that. The high, the first love high, you know, mm -hmm. that those butterflies go away. Then how do you maintain your sexuality with someone you're committed to for years? Like none of that shit is talked about. And it's just yeah. irritating to me that we all have this unrealistic expectations of what romance or a partner looks like. So absolutely. Yeah. I remember in my household, my mother and my stepfather fought like hell. And whenever they fought, they went for the jugular. There was oh, nothing yeah. nice about it. They threw things. My mother dragged my stepfather down the driveway one time. The cops came. Like it was, and that's what I thought relationships were. Yeah, like that passion. Like you had to have like that that much drama yes. and we get addicted to that drama. Mm -hmm. That's the thing you get addicted when you are grown, you grow up in it or you have a relationship like that, you get addicted to it. So when you don't have it, it doesn't feel normal. Yes. So when you get someone healthy, that's balanced, you're like, ew, I don't want that. That doesn't, that doesn't feel good because we get addicted to drama. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. And it took a lot of work Therapy. to yeah, <laughs> get past those unhealthy habits and, you know, build healthier ones and, you know, mm -hmm. learn what was okay and what was not okay. And I, a lot of it had to do with uh, sitting with myself and mm -hmm. not reacting at all. And because I would react right away and then I would do something I would regret or I would say something that I would regret. And then the next day I would feel like shit. And then I'd feel like shit for, you know, a month after that. And Instead, now I'm like, oh, no, if I sleep on it, I can actually come up with like constructive things on what I'm feeling and express them in a way that actually comes up with a solution <laughs> instead of me throwing this bottle at the wall. Yeah. And they don't teach that. And I, I that's what what I wrote about, like 10 rules to live by to have healthy relationships. And it's not just about love relationships. It's about family relationships, yeah. it's about friends. I didn't realize I was even addicted to my girlfriends. Like, give me attention, give me validation, tell me I'm going to be okay, validate my bullshit. And if I didn't feel better after I talked to a girlfriend, I would then call another girlfriend and like rape her of her energy and time. And it's like, when you use people like a drug, when yeah. you do that, that's what sex and love addiction is. We snort people is what I say. We snort, we drink people. Like that's what it is. We go to unavailable people. We're unavailable ourselves mm -hmm. because we're afraid of intimacy. We're afraid of a being abandoned. We're afraid of 
low self-worth, not being loved. And it's like a lot of people, they say three, 30 million people in the United States have this addiction. That's 6% and 38% of those are women. And that's a statistic that was five years ago, six years ago. And it's just amplified. It's just like so many people cannot have healthy relationships and they go from relationship to relationship looking for that because they they've never seen it mirror to them. Yeah. I'm really hoping that, you know, I know I'm not going to be perfect, but I hope that I'm setting a better example for Mm -hmm. my children so that whenever, you know, like kind of break the cycle or trying to break the cycle, I guess a little bit and Oh, that's why. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the main reasons I look at my son now, my husband and I talk about our feelings, have conversations in front. If they're not appropriate conversations, we change the subject, talk about it later. You know, the other day he goes, are you guys fighting? And we said, yes, Mm -hmm. we're fighting and we're allowed to fight. We're having a conversation. And then he would like, wait, are you guys happy? He literally a three and a half year old. Are you happy? And we're like, no, not right now, but we'll be okay. Let us finish this conversation. Like, so we're trying to teach our son how to have healthy constructive conversations. We show love in front of our son. We hold hands, we kiss, we show affection. We don't make our son, our whole universe. We have our relationship. So we're really trying to break the cycle too, because we both came from broken families and we don't want to carry it on generationally, you know? I don't think a lot of people think about fighting healthily in front of you your children to. and how important that is. You can't not never fight in front of them. Then they're never going to see it modeled because we as adults and humans fight with each other. We disagree. We, you know, even friendships, even family yeah. members, it's like, let's do it, but show in a healthy way where they can learn how to do it. Cause I didn't know how to do it. I go for the jugular. I'd yeah. be like, fight or flight, like peace out or like come at you with a bat, like one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I am right there with you. Wow. (laughs) I am so, so happy that you came on. Tell everybody where they can find you, your book, uh, what you're doing. Yeah. You can find me at the Brianne Davis on Instagram. I try to answer all my DMS. If you have questions about sex and love addiction or anything, reach out. I try to answer all of them. You can get the book on Amazon exclusively now. We put it exclusively with them. It's called Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. I do the audible. I narrate the whole thing, which was torture. (laughs) Um, Don't ever advise. Don't ever write everything you've ever done, said, or thought, feeling in a book and then read it out loud. It's torture. You know, it's true. I'm writing the second book right now, the follow-up, which I'm really excited about and secret life podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts and then TikTok, it's the dot Brianne Davis. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having. Of course. And Hey, as always, even if you are not nailing it this week, you're still going to get that participation trophy. See ya.